And welcome. It's another Joshi 2010s episode coming at you from the Red Leaf Retrocast. I am JD. If you've signed up for the Patreon, thank you for joining on that $1.50 tier. And if you're listening on the that All Japan Destiny feed, hey, consider subscribing. But JPQ, you are back for yet another episode. And we got a we got a different one today. Yeah, I think th- that's fair. Yeah, what would you what is your first impression over this without like giving anything away? <laughs> um you know, indie scene is always going to be the indie scene. Re- regardless of era, decade, yep. country, etc. You know, and then and there's something endearing about that. Um it has so its I had charm. Fun. It certainly does. It certainly does. It has a certain DIY quality to it that you just respect. Um, you know, but looking at, I assume to be free agents and people from overseas, interesting time of the year. Like, again, as someone who's very new to this, uh, November 26, 2011, an interesting mix uh, on the cards, on the produce show. So, crazy, crazy time. Yeah, so this episode is going to feature a produce show by Ayumi Kurihara, uh, one of the bigger stars, uh, not from the 90s, (laughs) on the scene. And ever since Neo closed in 2010, where she was getting a more or less higher prominent position, uh, minus Yoshiko Tamura and Kyoko Inoue type deal, uh, once that closed down, she's been in kind of no man's land. And I've been very outspoken about why won't a promotion uh, pick her up or at least push her to the moon. Because she's clearly established. The crowd really likes her. She she has that innate crowd connection. She's, uh, I, in my opinion, quite good in the ring, among the best in the scene. Uh, not over 40 years old. <laughs> Which, uh, in this era, is... Seemingly quite rare, unfortunately, uh, but that's that's just kind of the era we're coming out of where uh, it, there just wasn't a lot of recruits, uh, people wouldn't stay around, and this is just kind of your generation of people who are kind of that mid-2000s, late 2000s, uh, uh, really starting to break out. Misaki Iwata uh, really comes to mind. Uh, Ayumi Kurihara here is, a, is another name. Uh, even Leon, to an extent, from uh, JWP. Uh, this show is a produce show by Ayumi Kurihara on November 26, 2011. It's uh, titled uh, Never Give Up, her sixth anniversary. It shows how long she's been in the business at this point. And uh, m- not much like my uh, shimmer <laughs> uh, past dive, uh, something popped up on my timeline and came up on my feed. Uh, it was an old Ice Ribbon show from 2010 that we missed out on on our original 2010s, because we were still kind of getting our feet wet of, like, what should we cover? How should we cover it? And uh, we totally missed out on this particular show, and I'm also very outspoken that I want to do more Neo shows from 2010, uh, because it has, it does have a more important position than uh, I think even myself realized at the time. So, you're on, you've been on a few episodes now, JPQ, uh, over the last few months, and you've been exposed to people like 
Masaki Iwata and Ayumi Kurihara and Leon to an extent and Emi Sakura's crew. Uh, what is your gauge and opinion on Ayumi Kurihara herself and her position in the scene currently in 2011? I'm not sure. I mean, if I had to draw comparisons, she's... Uh, shoot, I don't even know. Um, she's successful. Um, she puts on good matches. They are strong, strong wrestling matches. Um, and she's strong in the tag team as well, although you see her a lot in the singles uh, for good reason. Um, I don't... Why is she not signed? Why is she doing... I'm not quite sure. But, um, you know, she's, she's a draw. And I don't know if I'd say she's sorry and new, but maybe if Nomad takes off a little bit and she gets, a, you know what I mean, just gets out of that Oz funnel for a little while, mm -hmm. a different, you know what I mean, maybe there's a comparison there. Um, you know, I don't know. Yumiki Ohara was in the ring awesome, but, like, she had 500 people show up to Shinjuku face. And the crowd seemed into it, and they were fun. So she definitely has an investment in a following in mm -hmm. some way. That's cool to see. So you don't see that today to that same level by any stretch. It's tough to say today because it's a, it's a, it's a little different coming out of COVID. I'm completely different. Yes. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I know. And I'm not trying to compare the two. I'm just saying, like, you look at it, and you're just like, it. it's noticeable when you go back and watch these shows. Um, two people yeah. come to my mind. Who? Actually, three. I'll throw. I'll, I'll throw a third out there. Let's see if. Uh, let's see if these uh, these jive with you. Uh, Maya Yukihi. Now that she's left Ice Ribbon, she's a freelancer. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, beginning here. Sure. Miyuki Takase. Now that Actress Girls uh, has gone their separate ways. As she's a freelancer, got a really good chance. Yeah, she really does have a good chance. And this is kind of my. Third shot in the dark is uh, Kaho Kobayashi with the CMLL Mexico background. It's not a bad pull. That could be fun. Um, I would have to. Do, I would have. I would need to do more homework on Kaho. I've only known her since 2020, and it's been sporadic, but very good. Um, so I'd have to learn a little bit more about her. But yeah, mm -hmm. fair. Like those three. Those are all. You can make cases for all three of those. Absolutely. Yeah. So. Uh, the state of the scene right now for uh, particularly uh, uh, freelancers and uh, we're focusing on, on Ayumi Kurihara in particular because uh, she is a, I mean, she's six years in. When you think six years in, you think, okay, they've established themselves. They got some, they got some pull to an extent, uh, or at least you would think. And this is kind of where they're going to be at. And over the course of the next four to ten years, that's when they're really going to hit their stride in wrestling and, and take off. While that is usually true for, say, American wrestling or indie wrestling in North America, even Europe to an extent, uh, if you're not signed to a promotion in the Joshi scene, it's seemingly impossible to reach that next step in your career which is why i believe a lot of people are signing on with stardom that it's it's a chance on themselves and to have a more steady investment in their own careers and it just seems to me at this time that unless ayumi kurihara signs with 
I guess, stardom at this point, the new upstart promotion by, by uh, Rossi Ogawa. But they just signed Io Shirai and they got the Nai Takahashi and, and they got their crew set there and they're building. I could understand from like Kurihara's perspective that, uh, you know, it's not really worth it. I'll, I'm still getting my bookings. I'm still getting paid, which is a similar mindset that I think is relatable to a lot of people, a lot of these freelancers today, kind of like Amaya Yukihi. She wants to maybe break out in uh, the West, wants to do DDT stints. Maybe stardom's a little bit full. Maybe they, they, she is not what they're looking for. I, this is why I kind of bring up these comparisons. And uh, we don't really get a lot of these singular produce shows today. The closest we get are these, I guess, indie promotions because their rosters are so small. They kind of come across as similar. Your seedlings, your Dianas and company. Uh, but anyways, Shinjuku face, Ayumi Kurihara. We'll just kind of race through this card because it really is an indie shot uh, that's focused about her and kind of her, I would say, CMLL Lucha Libre Mexican backgrounds. And you'll see some of these styles and names throughout the card that kind of represents that. And I, I kind of like that about this card. It was, dare I say, easy to watch. But besides really the main event and maybe the semi-main, I can't really recommend uh, the rest of the card to go out of your way and and watch. Um, so, uh, opens with Ranyuu defeats uh, Ranyuu and uh, Toshimatsu, our kind of tag team of the year. They take on in singles matches uh, a couple rookies. Toshimatsu defeats Rabbit Miyu in eight minutes, and Ranyuu defeats Nana Kawasawa in six minutes. Acceptable, fine little openers, and then we move on from there. Any thoughts? I do like Yumatsu. Um, every time I see her now, I like her more and more. Oh, we went over this a, about a month ago. Oh, yeah. Um, and this was good pace. Um, to your point about this show, I was making dinner uh, while watching this. <laughs> and you do get through like the first five matches in a decent pace you know what i mean like in you know you're doing your little pasta and you're doing everything and you put it all together and then you look back and it's just it's good ambiance behind you because they're right. working hard and and it's good wrestling but like there's nothing that's gonna make you sit down and you know can't miss um first half first three quarters of this show uh with that said fun opener Six-man tag follows Aki Usugi, Ao Ishibashi, and Saya defeats Dama de Hiro, Lady Aphrodita, and Saori in seven minutes. Any of those names ring a bell? <laughs> no. Yeah, same. I was very unfamiliar with them, and they did uh, they did not impress me. So very indie-rific, if you will. Uh, another trios match, Aja Kong, Gami, and Saoko Shimoto defeat Aya Yuki, Ryo Mizunami, and Yutaka Yoshi. 13 minutes. I think a couple names stand out here. Yeah, a little better. <laughs> a little better. Uh, the match was still very gammy esque. Yeah, sure was. <laughs> if she's in I don't it, know how we get that... in gammy shows. Gammy matches. So funny. She she has her format in her matches. She's gonna do, and it doesn't. It, it be, you be damned if it's any other thing than her match with the fan. <laughs> she she will whack you, and we'll be we'll be out of there. Uh, I'm not a fan of them. I think it's very, uh, a st I think it's a stale stick hard, hard way. 
Tag match. Fail in 2011. You got, you're in for a oh, long yeah. decade. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, no, she's going to retire in a couple of years. So, but uh, I'm experiencing her on the Patreon with the LLPW. She's not like this yet, but uh, let's just say I watched her versus Kyoko Inoue <laughs> on a interpromotional show. They did not impress. <laughs> I believe you. No selling abdominal stretches is quite a feat. <laughs> <laughs> Leon and Yumiko Hota, one of my one of my favorite wrestlers, <laughs> defeat Cassandra and Lady Apache by ref decision. Ten minutes. This was okay. Was this good. was fine. I thought this was fine. Yeah, I really like Leon in uh, these early 2010s, and she was it somebody. Was, yeah, she was somebody in the past in past episodes. I really questioned why is she not being pushed at the top of the card as a main eventer. And it's just not clear. Uh, it was argued to me by my former co-host that due to her skill level in the late 2000s up until about 2010, she never really showed a whole lot of main event promise, which is fair. That is a fa- that is a fair assessment. However, if someone's showing a lot of skill and when they were given the ball and they were proven to be capable in ring, and to an extent, uh, uh, getting more more people in the crowd for your smaller shows, there's something to be said there, and I, I I do think audibles need to be called. And it's it's at least in the case of JWP, more than a lot of these other indie promotions that that book Leon, uh, she just has been kind of cast to the wayside, and it's uh it's it's quite. I'm not surprised, but it's surprising. Yeah, I thought this was a good primer. Like, you're like, okay, we're going into the back, you know, third here. Let's pick it up. And I think this match picked up the show, which was good, leading into the last two. Yeah. All right. Semi-main, Ayako Hamada and Misaki Ohada. There's your uh, your wave heel team there. Huge fans. Huge <laughs> fans. Everybody loves them. <laughs> Defeat Akino and the almost sophomore Mika Ida. Now, let me ask you, JPQ, what is your familiarity with Mika Ida? Um, not much. No, okay. I think I've seen her in a match or two, maybe one at some point during this journey. But that's about it. Yeah, she's still very much a rookie uh, for all intents and purposes. She was part of that last rookie class in Neo. Uh, more or less part of the yeah. Nozaki class, if you will. Sure. Not in that same like year, but uh, close enough. We'll we'll just go with close enough. But Mika Ida uh, does become something of potential. Did you see the potential in this match? Um. Sure. I mean, it was all right. It, it's you're right. It's she's so young. Um, been doing this for so long. So green. You know, she was she played her part well, I thought. Like, I think that's as encouraging as it was for me. Um, you know, she executed well. Her fundamentals were strong. You know, she didn't get lost. You know, all those things. Right. It made sense. She was very in in the moment on what her role was in the match. And, like, that's half of it at the beginning. You know what I mean? Like, show me competence and then show me crispness. And and that's a win, winning formula in your first two years. And she has that. And so that's 
I don't know if it's been, she's been wrestling for two years. I don't know how long she's been wrestling. But like I felt like that was good for her. Outside of that, it was just watching Hamada slam people and Hamada <laughs> just run around and do her thing. So, um, you know, quick thoughts. Yeah, there was a number of things I took away from this match. Uh, Mikita was definitely the bigger one. I because I have seen her grow sporadically throughout 2010, 2011. Uh, since 2011 happened, she's been doing a lot of bookings in Ice Ribbon. Uh, and according to the Ice Ribbon book and various interviews I was able to find, uh, Mika Ida was more or less recruited by Emi Sakura and taken under nah, loosely extent to uh, from Ayumi Kurihara's wing. So that kind of explains a lot in her development over the last year and getting more representation in the scene and getting into a match like this against, let's face it, Hamada and Akino at this point have built up a lot of stock and Ohada has risen so much over the last couple of years and she's now starting to, to develop more of a star look to her. I, I, for me in this match, the, uh, the, the kind of high ponytail and curls in her hair really stood out. The better gear gear is such an like underrated aspect of wrestling. I think a lot of people look over <laughs> personally, you uh, do a, uh, like a fashion thing every once in a while, which is really yeah. cool. Yeah. I mean, it's a huge element to professional wrestling. I mean, it's over the top character building. <laughs> it's like, you gotta kind of, Give it a shot. So I, I like gear is part of your presentation and yeah, and and your character. And I think it has a lot to do with how you're presented as a star. And Mika Ida here has dropped that like bathing suit rookie look from Neo. And she actually has she really reminded me weirdly a lot of Miyu Amasaki in stardom <laughs> in this match. Yeah. Uh, not not so much in like moves, but, you know, she had. She wasn't afraid to uh, connect on drop kicks. She had a good, like, little shotgun drop kick going on. She was doing a little bit more uh, comfortable submission work where she w- she lo- she didn't look afraid of hitting people, and that's a that's a huge aspect that takes a a, a a decent amount of time to learn. So Mika Ida definitely came across to me as someone with quite a bit of potential. Uh, I do know like what ends up happening, but for now, in 2011, at the end here. She showed a lot, and then uh, Hamada. I don't. I don't know what to make of, of Hamada because in those early two thousands, she showed and had great potential and star power. And now in twenty eleven, whether she's going back and forth from Mexico, and I, she's just she she <laughs> she's booked a lot like Mako Satamorda in a weird way, where it's uh, infrequent, few and far between. She's still protected. She's still a big deal, but like high end singles matches, Hamada doesn't have. She's always in these tags. She's she's like a journey woman, and it's kind of a shame because she's one of the the best in the scene currently. That's that's my take coming out of this match. Even though Ohada and Hamada like handedly won, uh, Ida got Michinoku drivered it through the mat <laughs> by Hamada. <laughs> I ended up going one out of three on this match for a recommendation. Yeah, I think that's good. It's a quick match, too, which, I mean, you know. Well, it was 18 minutes. Yeah, but it was quick. It just went Yeah, it was nice. Quick. Their pace was really nice. Yeah. And our main event, the whole reason why you're here. And uh, this was cool. So the DVD I have 
uh, from this produce show actually showed prior uh, Kurihara in CMLL in um, Arena Mexico teaming and facing off against uh, Marcella and a number of other uh, luchadoras. And they were just kind of cool little trios matches with uh, kind of that past CML generation of women's wrestlers. And there's a there's a whole conversation I had recently with uh, a couple people more familiar with Mexican wrestling than I am. And uh, Marcella uh, is, is just part of that generation where because she was so good and and mobile that the Mexican promoters were finally comfortable in pushing a female wrestler uh, in their midst, which is which was rare for Mexico. Like just recently, we just had the first mask versus mask match in AAA, seemingly, and that's in 2022. Uh, so that kind of speaks to the star power that and, and respect level that Marcella had uh, at, at that level. And here she is in Japan taking on Ayumi Kurahara and defending the CMLL women's title in a two out of three falls match. Why is this match important? And why do I want why did I want to cover this? Well, if you've been following along on the All Japan journey, All Japan women journey, especially in the early 90s. That's when this title was created, and who had that title? The answer is Bull Nakano. And Bull Nakano competed uh, quite <laughs> a lot with it, even having a big feud with Akira Hokuto over the same title. And a lot of AJW have stints in CMLL of importance. So the promotion within Joshi Wrestling has its history. And here is Ayumi Kurahara, going to Arena Mexico. She's getting booked against main eventers, and here she is in Japan on her own produce show, not like within Wave or anything. It's her own show that she put on to have this title on the line. I just found this a very fascinating and interesting part of a small part of history. Uh, what did you get out of this match and uh, kind of the like the post-match and what everything meant? Was it a good match? Was it bad? Did it grab you? What happened? Yeah, I thought it was good. I thought it was good main. Um, she's a great wrestler. So you knew at the end of the day you're going to get a good wrestling match regardless, right? And it being a produce show, you're kind of going in with, you know, expectations of, you know, it doesn't have to be aesthetically perfect. Um, but in a lot of ways, I think it was, right? I thought it was uh, a good, you know, two out of three in falls match where they each got one and... You know, it, we were going to the third, and that little pop up meteora thing. Um, oh, that Ayumi bro. Does, I, I don't know if is that part of the move set like regularly, because that that was great at the end. Like a nice little pop at the end. You you're sitting pretty, and and you go home happy. And then all the pageantry after was was very nice. Albeit, I didn't have the background, so it was just kind of there. Um, that's cool. You know what I mean? Like I, I thought it was a good finish to what we were, uh, we were looking for. Yeah, Marcella got the first uh, submission victory in five minutes with a kind of modif modified surfboard, and right. the the kind of psychology behind it is, oh, I'm in a submission, I'm in the middle of the ring, it's only one fall, I can bring it back. Correct. And and two minutes later. Ayumi Kurahara gets her own submission in, very similarly, and Marcella taps out the same. That 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 is very standard stuff, and Super they did easy. it 
Yeah, and they and they did it super quick within seven minutes, and then the next because it's a like almost a sixteen minute match. Your eight your eight following minutes was just balls to the wall action, much like a lucha libre type match, but because it's also Joshi Strong style, <laughs> as as I'll uh, I guess put it uh, for this instance. Uh, Kurihara and Marcella just kind of beat the hell out of each other for eight minutes straight. And it was pretty sick. Ayumi's throwing uh, forearms and suplexes, and Marcella is throwing kicks and punching, uh, making a little bit more of a brawl. Uh, she's got a little bit of that, that onesie action going. Uh, she reminded me a lot of uh, the early 80s AJW people, just with a more pageantry type uh, look to the onesie. But yeah, you mentioned, so Ayumi Kurahara, th- th- this had one of the best near falls of the year in Joshi wrestling and women's wrestling was, uh, it's been well established with Kurihara in her matches that when she hits that headbutt and you just hear the big clunk, <laughs> you always hear the crowd go, oh, and it's followed by the hammerlock uh, T-bone suplex. And that's how she wins matches. Marcella kicks out of the sucker, and it was just, uh, it, like, all of Shinjuku face, like, got to their feet. You could hear them. Uh, you saw some of the crowd react. That's when Kurihara backed up, and she went with that super meteora, where it's just this big vault, and then she just storms down like a javelin onto you. She, I've only seen her do that once, and that was in a big tag title match. In 2010 with uh, Yoshiko Tamura, I believe it was the tag match when they were up against Io Shirai and Kana. So kind of a cool, maybe uh, probably unintentional callback, but uh, really rad move that she rarely busts out. And I really hope she, <laughs> I, I hope we see more of this move from her. So that was really cool. I, I gave this match a nice little two out of three. I thought it was uh, it accomplished what it needed to. It had a rad finish. It made the sense uh, story-wise. And post-match, Bull Nakano hits the ring, looking very good. Uh, wraps the same CMLL uh, women's title around her waist and gives her a nice little speech afterwards and puts her over. Uh, good stuff. Yeah, super solid. Again, just a good finish. And that'll take us into a little recap of Ice Ribbon from 2010. And I am updating my uh, match guide sheet and who the wrestler of the year was uh, as we go through these matches and what recommend. Uh, So uh, I'm even doing this with 2010. But uh, we go back to September 23rd, 2010 at Corken Hall. Attendance of 951. So a nice attendance for Ice Ribbon in 2010 uh, titled Knights of Ice Ribbon. Uh, it's headlined by Mako Satomura and Emi Sakura, so you understand why I wanted to see this now. But it also has the Ice Cross 60 title match in the mid-card, by the way, uh, of Hikari Minami defending against Command Bolshoi. In the semi-main is the JWP title, Kaori Yoniyama uh, defeating Sayaka Obihiro in a minute 42. A, a nothing match in the semi-main. Kind of disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, in the mid card, the the own promotions title is is there, and then the, in the main event is a rare meeting between Emmy and Mako, uh, two opposite figures of how they view pro wrestling. Uh, very much a big base history, uh, soccerism, satamorism, 
Ice Ribbon versus Sendai, like the, that whole aspect. But uh, we just got off that episode where we were really curious about the reign of Hikari Minami and how they treated her. And even in this first reign, when she was losing the title for for a uh, to a JWP mid Carter, yep. I know a lot of people like Command Bolshoi, and I I myself in the past really really questioned why she was never a higher pushed commodity within JWP even in the two thousands because she's been around a long time and she herself by accounts I guess just never saw herself as a main eventer and so here we are she's a mid Carter winning rival promotions title uh it only went 10 and a half minutes i thought it was acceptable it didn't like blow me away but it was it was fine what did you think i thought it was good it was a good little match um it's interesting we were talking about fujimoto what second reign yes oh, or a third episode? something like that yeah, yeah. Is it a third? something like that and and you posed the question about Minami of why didn't they back her? Why have one when you could have two, right? Um, and, you know, watching this, I can kind of see it. You know, I can just... It was a great She's match also like 16, 17 years old <laughs> at this yeah, time. Well, true, true. But remember, that was like the whole... They're going, anyway, so Bolshoi. Being... Um, you know, I, I mean, I guess JWP mid mid card, um, and the the difference between the two, it, it wasn't a surprising finish, right? Like, I, I wasn't surprised that that Manami um, didn't win, um, but it was good. Like again, I I don't know what more to say. It was just it was a good back and forth, and I enjoy Bolshoi, especially right now. So, um. I thought it was fun. I didn't really know the implications. You know, <laughs> it's just like it was a solid match. In our main event, Satamora, Emi Sakura, almost 21 minutes, main event in Korokin. This is the first big match Emi Sakura had after she lost her hair against Karyoniyama in JWP. So that's why she had the epic towel over her head, the slow reveal of it all, and she was uh, seemingly a new person. And what's really funny in this match, which is the dichotomy of Emmy and Mako, or Emmy versus Mako, is it's it seemed to me that Emmy was trying to break Mako's comedic spirit throughout the match. From the moment she took the towel off, and you could see the smirk across Mako holding a laugh back. I thought that was quite hilarious. Yeah, it was pretty good. It's like, I will not break character. <laughs> you will not break me, Emmy. <laughs> and he was a performer. And he took like wrestler versus sports entertainer. Yes. He had that in this match. Oh my God, know? yes. It is. It is uh, Eddie Kingston against Chris Jericho. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, this pulls up recent. It's, Emmy just plays with the crowd so well. Um, gosh, she's so good at that. Um, and then Mako, just the polar opposite on the other side, just like super serious, super technical. I'm here to do a job, and <laughs> it's just, I just, it was a fun dynamic. And you could see, again, even a decade ago, how, and again, we, I mean, you knew their status back then, but, um, just how important 
they are and were going to be to the scene because they just had the like they just had to figure it out. And yeah, it's so so goddamn good to watch, you know. And then Mako ten years ago, insane, just dropping Emmy left and right the entire match. Emmy fighting back, she was great, just awesome match. Very strike based and very much. Uh, e- so I had this weird, I epiphany is not the right word, but I had a I had a soul revealing moment or no, nah, that's not the right word. We'll we'll go with wh- whatever on track I'm at. <laughs> but so I see Emmy here. She is from the F- late FMW era. Mako is from that first class of Gaia, like two totally different backgrounds. I'm also on this journey of watching retro AJW and LOPW, and here comes the FMW chicks, and they're like god awful, and they're dorks, and they have big like colored hair. They don't know how to have any sort of personality, and then I'm seeing Emmy Sakura, where she's not afraid to have like a bald head. She's not afraid to dance out of a uh, out of a. Um, like a rear, a, rear, a rear naked hold at all. And she's trying to break Mako. She still has this kind of dork-ish persona to her. But because she's <laughs> a good wrestler, she knows how to make it part of her repertoire. While Mako is so one note about serious wrestling. It, it, it's just kind of so obvious of where they come from and how they developed to where we're at here in 2011. And it's like, of course, this is the this is the match they come out of. Of course, why would it be anything different? Of course, it's Emmy trying a little comedy spot, and Mako just trying to kick her head off. That's just how it, how it's going to be with these two. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree with everything. Now that said, I think this reached a ceiling, and it never broke through into fourth or fifth gear. It was like always on the cusp and it never got to that next level for me. How did you feel? Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, I'm not going to put this as like a five star banger um, to where you're just getting like elevated and elevated, and elevated through the entire thing. Um, I think that's fair. It just it was just a solid wrestling match. Like, again, leaving it, you're just like, that's another one. It's a wreck, right? We talked about this last time. Um or maybe it was Radleaf. Uh, yeah, it's Catch the Wave, right? <laughs> like, I'm recommending this match to people. Not as some grandiose, like, you gotta watch this. But like, hey, I need something. Here's a wreck. And and I think if you're that there 10 years later, you did your job. Um, and these two went out there and did their jobs. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I got my I got my high list of matches of 2010. And... If someone's like, hey, I want a top 10 of 2010, I, th- I, th- I think this would make that list yeah, for right. sure. Well, like, it would be spot. at the bottom of that top 10, but it'd make it. I mean, eight's not bad. Right. You know, it's not it's not Kaoru versus uh, Miami Ozaki putting each other through barbed wire tablers or anything, but. Uh, <laughs> what? I, what th- is? Th- <laughs> but uh, for I, I've, I've definitely reached this opinion over Mako Satomura and her her ring game that she's always going to give you a high floor. But to me, it's very rare 
at least in this current sense, that she'll get a a high ceiling match. Uh, and and I've seen her through uh, against Emmy here, Kana, uh, various other opponents. They're all the same match, which is fine. It's it's just you would think with the skill of Mako and her background and her reputation, you it's it's always like I'm expecting more out of her. Okay. So that brings this very quick podcast uh, to an end on this episode. Uh, for the next episode, JPQ, as I pull up the Excel spreadsheet, uh, we're back to stardom year end climax. Nice. In 2011. Finally, uh, these are all <laughs> the, ne- the last three episodes are all year end shows. We've got stardom. We got JWP, the controversial retirement of Kaori Yonayama, a uh, very famous little show there in women's wrestling, and then the Ice Ribbon Ribbon Mania show where, uh, well, the exodus happens. <laughs> it's the very last show. So very th- uh, three very historical shows, uh, much like Neo closing down uh, at the end of 2010, 2011, all have their own uh, historical circumstances behind there so i'm very excited for these next three episodes uh, especially the next stardom one and guys see you next time jpq thank you for joining bye bud